Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. games. I love playing games. I guess one of the first games I learned how to play was checkers. Any, any checker players out here? Well, in checkers, if you make it across the board, what happens? You get a crown. You become a, yeah, you get a king. And uh, we're talking about proclaiming the kingdom this morning. So uh, in the game of chess, the object of the game is to capture the other person's king. You know, I never understood this, but the king in chess only gets to move one Space at the time. Queen gets to go everywhere, you know. I, anyway, um, in, in the animal kingdom, I used to watch a show called Animal Kingdom, but in the animal kingdom, you've got, you know, when whatever the most fierce animal is, you call, you know, there's a king cobra. If you're talking about the king of the jungle, it's what? The lion, the king of the jungle. If you go to entertainment, king of rock and roll would be Elvis, king of pop. Michael Jackson. Uh, if We'll pretend, since we're in the South, that uh, NASCAR is a sport. And um, who would be the king of NASCAR? Dale Earnhardt? No, Richard Petty. That's right. Now, surfing. In surfing, uh, it would be the Duke. Uh, or Tim Holt was said in the first service. Uh, or I think Kelly Slater has a pretty good uh, uh, mastery of the, of the sport. Um, I would like to add one, if it were a weatherman, it's Jim Cantore. I mean, the guy, I don't know if you've seen, you need to Google Jim. Recently, there was a guy who charged the stage, and he knees the guy and just keeps right on with the weather. So just, it, it was great. It was great. He's my hero. Um, in Israel, Israel was divided as a kingdom. There was the northern kingdom known as Israel. There was the southern kingdom, which became known as Judah, where we get the word Jew, and the northern kingdom had no good kings. I mean, zero. It, it, was, it was just a bad scene. The southern kingdom only had a handful of good kings, one of which was David. And David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And theologians for years have debated, uh, what does that mean? When Many have said, well, it's because his heart, when he was convicted and confronted with sin in his life, he immediately repented, he turned to God. And I'd say, yeah, that, that's a good thing. Uh, that's after God's own heart. But I, a friend of mine named Eric Guthrie, who is in India this week, um, he was the first that I heard say this, and it made a lot of sense to me. He said, you know, do you know why David's a man after God's own heart? And I said, well, I've heard a lot of answers. What's yours? And he said, well, if you look back to the first event we see in David's life, he's confronting Goliath. And when he confronts the giant, it says that he, summarizing here, but he says to the giant, look, you've made fun of Yahweh. You don't do that. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. And God's going to judge you because of that, Goliath. And not only that, he's going to do it for this reason, that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. And when you read through the Psalms that David wrote the majority of, when you read those Psalms, David, more than any other writer, 
talks about the nations, the nations, the nations. God's heart for all people to worship Him. For all people to... to he's a man after God's own heart. God's heart is for the nations. God has a heart for all people. In fact, He says in the last book, Revelation, there'll be people represented from every tongue, every tribe, every nation around the throne of God. So God's heart is for the nations. Jesus isn't just a king. He's the king of kings. So we listed a bunch of different kings at the beginning. All of them will bow down to Jesus, the king. In the 4th century, in 390, there was a letter written, and it was, uh, became known as the Apostles' Creed. If you grew up Catholic, uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, you probably heard the Apostles' Creed. If you grew up Baptist, you didn't hear any of that. But, and, and, uh, if, but the Apostles' Creed, I married a Presbyterian. And, uh, and so I remember, but in the Apostles' Creed, there's a phrase that says, He will come to judge what? The quick and the dead. Quick meaning those who are living. Dead meaning in the original language, dead. And uh, so the, the, uh, the quick and the dead. He, in other words, get this. Every human who has ever been born, every person that will ever be born, will one day stand face to face with Jesus Christ to give an account of their life. He will judge the quick and the dead. That's the message of the scripture. That Jesus isn't just a king, he's king of all kings. And he has a kingdom, and we're to proclaim that kingdom. So we're going to look at that this morning. In the book of Acts, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We've got it on the screen. If you don't have an app or don't have your Bible with you, uh, we've got it for you here. And in Acts chapter 1, in the beginning, uh, the heading of my Bible, I'm using the English Standard Version, it says, the Acts of the Apostles. A better tag for the book, I believe, would be Acts of the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit moves through the book and does amazing things. It isn't about what the people do. It's about what God does, and the people are just hanging on, you know, uh, getting to be a part of the ride. And so in this first book, Jesus, after he rose from bodily from the dead, he speaks to the disciples for 40 days, and here's what he teaches them. He, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So the book opens, and it tells us, here's what this book is going to be about, the kingdom of God. Let's define the term. Kingdom is God's rule and reign, or as I like to say it, God is in charge. The kingdom is a realization, a recognition of someone's in charge of this world, and it's not me, and it's not you. And we worship the one who is in charge, the king of kings, the king. And so that's the kingdom. The kingdom is his rule and reign. Now, the book of Acts ends, the end of the book, last two verses of that book. Let's see those here. Acts 28, 30 and 31 says, he lived there. Now, this is referring to Paul who's been imprisoned. He's in a jail cell in Rome. And from that jail cell, he writes these words. Or it says these words about him. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. I mean, hey, it's bad enough that he's arrested, he's thrown in jail, he's got to pay room and board. I mean, you know, what's up with that? So he pays his own expense and he welcomes all who came to him. Notice his message. 
proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Here, here's the amazing thing. The book of Acts is bookended. about the, It's a book about the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, and what that looks like. And, and we're going to look this morning of how that unfolds, of what is the kingdom, how does it unfold, how does it grow, how does it expand, what's the scope of the kingdom. I mean, is this a... You know, when you think of, now, granted, if you think Hinduism, there are Hindus around the world. If you think of Buddhists, there are Buddhists that are all over the world. You think of Muslims, there, there are Muslims all over the world. But in each of those cases, it's rooted in a geography that is very small. For, for, um, for Islam, it would be where? They bow where? Toward the east, toward Mecca. It's centered in Mecca. If you look at Buddhism and Hinduism, it's centered really in India as a foundation place, not Christianity. Christianity is global from the get-go. From the very beginning, the globe is the, the target audience of Christianity. Look at the map as it started out here. Christianity is birthed, and Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says these words, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now I run into people periodically and they say, why do you go to the nations? What about all the need here? First of all, I don't go based on need. I go based on a command. And the command is proclaim the gospel to all the nations to the end of the earth. But it's both and, not either or. We need to do this locally and globally. It's not one or the other. So... When we look at the map, back at the map, it starts in Jerusalem. And see Jerusalem there on the map. And then it goes to Judea, which is slightly south. And this is where the majority of the Jews are located. And it goes to the south. We know that uh, on day one it was 3,000. Church grew by 3,000. We know that 5,000 priests came to faith in Christ. Uh, it's believed that there were about 20,000 priests serving in Jerusalem at that time. Um, over 5,000 of them come to faith of, of the priests. Um, so there's a massive movement there. Then it goes into Samaria, which is, this is a, a, a mixed race in Samaria. But the target is the end of the earth. It's not just centrally located. It's a global perspective. So we need to understand what we do and what God does. So let's, let's look at that for a moment. On your outline, there are two blanks. Then we'll go into some scripture in Acts 13. But let's look at the two blanks first. There, uh, we are to proclaim the kingdom. So on the first blank there, our job, what we do, is proclaim the kingdom. In the Gospels, it refers to it as the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of Jesus' rule and reign. The good news of the kingdom. That's what we're to do. Who we are is the church. People get confused. Well, what's the difference between the church and the kingdom? The church is what we is who we are. The kingdom's what we proclaim. And so who we are, we are the church, the people of God, the bride of Christ. That's who we are. We gather together, we worship, we witness, we we uh, but we that's who we are. What we proclaim is the kingdom. Now, there's a dynamic tension between what's known as the already, this is on your blanks as well, 
there's a dynamic tension between the already and the not yet of the kingdom. In other words, there are times where God's rule and reign, future rule and reign, there's no sickness, there's no dying, there's no you know, demon, um, uh, demonization. There, all of those things are gone in the future when the king comes back. There's none of that. But what about the tension that we live in where all of that is present? And there are times where the future breaks into the present and we see God move in a powerful way, and that's exciting. I mean, I love when that happens. I remember I was uh, 17 or 18 years of age, and I went to a Bible study, and this guy, Don Bulla, Don's a good friend of mine. He introduced me to my wife. He's, uh, uh, he's still a great friend, and he's on our board with our ministry. And, but first time I met Don, we were both teenagers. I went by a Bible study where he was in North Carolina, and at this Bible study, I walk in the door and he says, uh, he goes, hi, I'm Don. I said, I'm, I'm Doug Dorman. He said, Dorman said, you're going to open doors for people for the gospel. And we just kind of laughed. And then he, then he said, no, 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 seriously. He said, you have a gift of teaching. And I hadn't said anything. I hadn't done anything. He had a prophetic word that he spoke that was extremely encouraging to me and that altered and really shaped the rest of my life. God speaks today. He moves today. The power of the kingdom, the power of a prophetic word, of a word of encouragement, a word to others that, to, that's very specific sometimes, as it was in that case. So um, let's look at Acts 13. In Acts chapter 13, verses uh, 1 through 12, this is, uh, there's a pattern that unfolds through the book of Acts. And I'm taking a snapshot of one of this one example of the five-part pattern that runs through the whole book. There are over 17 instances where all five of these are present in the book of Acts. It begins uh, here in verse 1, says, Now there was in the church at Antioch. Antioch was uh, its present-day Syria. And so you see Syria a lot in the news. Well, Antioch is, is this place where there's... Uh, at the time, it's a Roman colony. There's a lot of people from around the Mediterranean, from Africa, from Europe, that are coming through Antioch, from Babylon, from uh, all these different places that are coming through Antioch as a place of trade. It's a center of trade. And a church gets planted there, and the church leadership is extremely diverse there. There's Barnabas. He's a Jew. Simeon, who's called Niger. He's from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, Manian, now get this, Manian's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. This guy grew up with a king. Now in, the, in that day, what would have happened is he would have been chosen as a child of, hey, you can play with our kid. And he becomes a playmate with Herod and is, grows up with Herod. This, this is a guy who, he's got friends, and unlike uh, Garth Brooks, he's got friends in high places or low places, depending on how, your view of Herod. Uh, and Saul. And Saul is a scholar. He's a, he is a, a, a rabbi. He's a, he's a lawyer. He's a Hebrew among the Hebrews. And, and so, so this is the teaching team in this church, pretty diverse team. And then it goes on to say, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, this is one of the places in Scripture where we see the divinity of the Holy Spirit, that He is God. He speaks here. You know, a force doesn't speak. A person speaks. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. We're all to be called to mission. All of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you to be on mission with him. Some of you will stay in your Jerusalem, some in Judea, some in Samaria, others to the ends of the earth. But this church gets it. They send two to the ends of the earth, but they stay in Antioch. They can go to the end of the earth, but they did because they were part of a team that was sent. So every time I go out, every time Linus goes out, Ricardo, one of our missionaries who's uh, in France, you're there with him. I asked a guy named Dennis Cochran when I was at Asbury College in Kentucky and was wrestling with this whole missions thing because I didn't want to go outside of the U.S. And I was really wrestling with this. And, and I said, what's my responsibility? And Dennis told me this. He was a missionary, I believe, from Papua New Guinea. And he said, well, you have a responsibility to pray. The scripture clearly says you're to pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest field. That's your job. Start praying. And I did. That day, I started praying for the harvest field. Now, eventually, God answered my prayers, sent me. Um, but prayer is part of it, and every one of us are called by God to be a part by prayer. And they're sending him out here. And verse 4 says, And being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. John was a young guy. John Mark is his full name. And he wrote the book of Mark and the, the gospel of Mark, verse 6. They had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. And they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius uh, Paulus, a man of intelligence, who, was, uh, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So here's this leader, and not unlike leaders around the world today, many leaders of nations have an astrologer on their staff. And what they're trying to do, the astrologer's job, or the magician's job, is to control fate so that the ruler is in charge of their own destiny. Now, they're, they're tapping into the occult and to the demonic, but... That's what's happening here, very much like rulers around the world today. And so he, he, uh, he has this, this magician, also known as Elimus, the magician, meaning which is the meaning of his name. He opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He realizes if they accept the king of kings, I lose my job. And so he's, he's, he doesn't have job security here, and he begins to oppose. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also called Paul. And there, a lot of people talk about that name difference. It's most likely this. Saul is Hebrew. Paul is the Greek form of the same name, and he's simply working in Greek territory. So he goes by Paul, as we know him today. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks intently at him, and he said, reminds me of a Jim Cantori moment here, he says, you son of the devil. Now, Paul obviously had not gone through how to win friends and influence people. This wasn't a real user-friendly message. He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will, who, um, will you not stop mocking or, or making crooked Excuse me, the, the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Now, in Scripture, 
The hand of God being on us can mean one of two things. It can be a great thing. You want God's hand upon you to empower you, to gift you, to use you for His glory. But we're also told in Scripture that God gives grace to the humble, but He opposes the proud. That's what's happening here. This guy's getting opposed by God. And it says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Don't mess with Paul. Immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So you got one eye who one guy who gets blinded, and the proconsul, I bet his eyes were wide open. And he says, Yeah, I want what you got. I want your message. That's the purpose of signs and wonders. That's the purpose of miracles is to point people to Jesus, the king. And that's what happens with the proconsul. He sees a miracle and he responds by saying, I want Jesus. That's the purpose of miracle. It's not about the miracle. It's not about the prophecy. It's not about the deliverance. It's about the king who is the deliverer and the healer. It's about Jesus, the king, and worshiping and serving him alone. Now let's break this down. Here's the pattern. It starts out in verse 3 with prayer. When I was in Uganda, this is a group in Uganda. We were um, Before we would teach every morning, they would get together and they would pray and worship. And when we got up to teach, man, it was, it was easy uh, because the, the lid had been lifted. Uh, and we were able to just go in and teach. And prayer is the first on your blank there of the first five of the pattern in the book of Acts. Prayer is, is foundational. The second foundational piece is proclamation. Your outline there, proclamation, proclaiming, heralding. You know, when a king would come into a city, there would be heralds that would run before them with a, I don't know if they had a bullhorn or what they had, but they would yell out, the king is coming. The king is coming. They'd have flags. You know, I got to see the Queen of England when I was 19. And when she came into town, man, there, were, there was just a parade of people waiting to see her. There were announcers who came in the front. You know, there were flags and there was a car parade that came through. And she's in her huge limo. And it was, uh, it was actually on July 4th, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, some of you know the significance of that. You know, if England had won the American Revolution... We'd be speaking English today. And so, um, yeah, proclamation. Well, this, this is a picture in, in Uganda as well. The guy with the coat on, his name is Jedediah. The guy in the middle is Linus, who will be speaking here in a couple of weeks, one of our missionaries here from Vineyard. And then Michael is the forefront. We were uh, at this, this little stop beside the road where we, uh, where we went to, to for lunch. Linus was walking, and a guy in the restaurant stops him, who's also eating there, and just says, where are you from? So Linus says, I'm from the USA. How about you? He says, I'm from Uganda. And they strike up a conversation, and Linus asks him just point blank. He said, do you know Jesus? Now, that can be dangerous. I, I've heard of someone who did that in uh, South America, and they said, yeah, he lives over, uh, Jose lives, you know, uh, Jesus lives right down the, you know, but in Uganda it worked. And so he talks to this guy, and he says, uh, do you know Jesus? He said, I'm Muslim. And he said, oh, have you read the Quran? And he says, no. Linus says, well, I've read it. Let's talk about it. 
And uh, they began talking, and eventually he points him to Jesus being the Savior of the world, forgives our sins, and cleanses our heart. And then he goes and takes him to Jedediah. Jedediah, is, his calling is reaching Muslims for Christ. And so he, uh, he begins to engage the conversation, and before they're done, Linus and Jedediah are praying with this guy to receive Jesus. Power of the gospel. Proclamation. My mom was a godly woman, loved the Lord with all her heart. Sweetest woman you could ever meet. But my mom, she used to say, you know, I don't have to tell people about Jesus. They can just see it in my life. Mom was wrong. Because Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Absolutely sinless. And he was very vocal. We have a responsibility. It's not enough on your family, co-workers, neighbors, and friends. It's, they can't see Jesus in your life. Now, they should see Jesus in your life, but that's not enough to get them to the king. You've got to be vocal. You've got to proclaim it. Tomorrow night, we've got a workshop that's going to deal with how to do that in a very simple way. We do a very simple diagram to help you learn how to share your faith with others, and we'll talk more about the kingdom through the book of Acts. Tomorrow night, 6.30, here, it's free, 6.30 to 8.30, other end of the building. Um, shameless plug. The uh, proclamation, we've got to tell other people. Third part of the process. And this one, fortunately, we don't have to do anything about. It's persecution. Now, in the book of Acts, persecution can begin as simple as they mocked them and said they were drunk. It can be they were jealous of them. They opposed them. These are all terms that are used through the book of Acts. In some cases, it actually is, is violence. Other cases, it's threat of violence. Um, this is a friend of mine in India. His name's Albert. And I was in India a couple of years ago. And Albert leads a movement of 400,000 followers of Jesus in northwest India. Fourteen years ago, that number was in the single digits of followers of Jesus among the Beal people. God has used my friend to reach hundreds of thousands of people for Christ. And I was talking with him one day, and he said, Doug, what's your mission statement? And I was kind of surprised by the question, actually. And I said, well, my mission statement is bring them in, build them up, send them out publicly, and house to house. And then he said, oh, that's a good one. I like that. And he said, you know, Rick Warren, who's a pastor out on the West Coast, he said his mission statement, he quoted it to me. I was like, how in the world did you know that? And then he says, you know, Bill Hybels' mission statement, he quotes that to me. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with somebody much smarter than me. And then, and then he, I said, well, okay, what's yours, Albert? And he said, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus died for me, and I will die for him. And I realized uh, I hadn't heard that one in America. Uh, here's a guy who knows the cost of the gospel. And, and he knows when he sends church planters out to plant, some of them won't come back. Persecution is a reality around the world. And uh, it really is what we see in the book of, book of Acts. Now, the good news is you don't have to seek it. People will oppose the message of the gospel. The uh, John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard, 600 vineyards in the U.S., about 1,200 overseas is the latest numbers I've heard, give or take a few. Um, but John Wimber was a church consultant 
leader in, um, in California and worked for Fuller Seminary. He did a lot of work with their church growth. And he traveled around the country and he spoke on church growth. And um, Well, a turning point came. And this, this fourth point on your outline is the power of God, which we see throughout the book of Acts. You, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is a picture of John. And he said that uh, the turning point came for him one night in Detroit when the Lord clearly spoke to me. John, I've seen your ministry. In, and I'm not too impressed, tone of voice. And now I would like to show you mine. John began praying for people to be healed. He prayed for 1,000 people before the first person was healed. But he persisted. And then he saw thousands of people healed and God speak to people and dreams and visions. And, but it was never about the miracles. It was about how do people get pointed to Jesus Christ. And that began to happen. I talked to some folks who were visiting the vineyard a few years ago. They were visiting here and they had traveled with John Wimber back in the 80s. And they were in London, England. And they were um, in London and... They went to pray uh, at the end of the service, um, and and there were there were the one thing that differentiated John's ministry at that time. It was very common that whoever the speaker was, you wanted that person to pray over you because they're the anointed one. And and John never believed that. He said, "Holy Spirit lives in you. You're the anointed ones. It's not about me, and it's not about you either. It's about the Holy Spirit working." And so at the end of the service, he had people pray for one another. And this one guy, he and his wife were telling me this story. They, they said this guy came to him who was 70 in his mid-70s. He's blind. He said, I've been blind for 20 years. And so they just laid hands on him to pray for him. It was the first person they had prayed for to be healed. And so they were a little bit nervous. You know, it's one of those kind of, God, please do something so we won't look stupid prayers. And uh, they just prayed over him. The guy starts yelling, and they, they're shocked, like, what's wrong? What happened? And he says, I can see. I'm healed. One of the good friend of mine, uh, Dusty Reynolds, Dusty was, uh, was in Nigeria recently, and he said he was praying for someone who was blind, and God healed him instantaneously. Praying for someone who was deaf, and they were healed. Now, we live in the tension of the already and the not yet, but often... The reason we have the not yet is we're not asking for it now. We're not asking God to deliver them and heal them. But even when they are healed, it's not about the healing. The healing is to empower them to be witnesses to the resurrected Christ. I think that miracles have stopped uh, for the most part in, in America for a lot of people for this reason. One is we focus on the miracles as though it's about the miracles. And God's not trying to put on a show. I think the second thing is doubt. And I think the third thing is we don't proclaim the gospel. We just want the show. God's not about the show. He's about showing the world that he's alive so that the people will come to know him. It's an exciting thing. Population increase is the fifth one on your outline. God wants to grow his church. He wants to reach People of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. This picture is in Uganda as well, where I was last fall. And uh, these guys are doing the stuff. Um, 
These are a group of church planters in, in Uganda. One of the guys is going to Sudan to plant a church in Sudan. If you haven't watched the news lately, that's probably not the safest place to go plant a church. Uh, but these guys, they told me, they looked at me and they said, you white people said, you can't reach Muslims. We can, and we're doing it. And so he's going to plant a church in Sudan. One of the guys has been a missionary in, in, uh, in where is it, Ireland. He's been in Ireland. One of the guys, the shortest guy there, he's planted over 22 churches. Reminds me of uh, Matthew 28 because Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. So for even, even the short guys. And, and uh, one of the guys there has planted over 50 churches. Um, and these guys are doing the stuff. And here's, here's the deal. They're praying. They're proclaiming. They're announcing God's power in his kingdom. They're being persecuted. And the church is growing just like in the book of Acts. It's exciting stuff. Great day to be alive. John Wimber had a famous phrase that he used to say, and it was this, everyone gets to play. And God wants every one of us involved. He wants every one of us to be involved. I encourage you to pray for those who, who uh, you know, our, our son, John Michael, we've seen several healings in our family over the years. Joan had placenta previa where she wasn't going to be able to deliver um, God moved the placenta, and she was able to give birth, natural birth. We had uh, Ian, who was born with a hole in his heart. God closed it and healed him. We've had uh, John Michael, who had, had to have tubes in his ears. He was our oldest. And he was going for a second, pre-op, he was going for a second visit. He was having ear, ear pain, and they discovered that he needed to have tubes put back in his ears, and we had just changed insurance. And uh, John Michael, as a three-year-old, he would tell me, he said, Dad, I don't want to be a Christian. I thought, uh-oh, this isn't good PR for, for a pastor. And, uh, and so, but he, he would say that regularly. And uh, we took him for this pre-op visit, and they said he needed, needed surgery, you know. And, and so we took him to our church, to our small group that met in our home. We laid hands on him. We prayed over him. Prayed for the kingdom to come. Prayed for God to touch him and heal him. We went for the pre-op visit, and the doctor says, I don't know what happened in the last week, said, but he doesn't need tubes. His ears are fine, and he doesn't need surgery. So we're driving home from Raleigh, and at that point we're living in Ashburn, North Carolina, and on the way home, John Michael tells his mom, he says, I want to become a Christian. And she said, John Michael, why the change of heart? She said, Jesus healed me. He said, I want to follow him. That's the purpose of signs and wonders. That's the purpose of miracles, to bring people to greater faith in Christ, in Him alone. So, this morning, everyone gets to play. We're going to have a prayer team over to the side. Some of you have come this morning. You need to hear a word from the Lord. You need to be healed. You need deliverance. Things are needed in your life. I want to encourage you during the worship set, make your way over and just ask our team to pray for you. See what God does. I mean, man, wouldn't it be great to not yet becomes part of the already today in your life. Uh, we're going to ask God to do that. Um, some of you, last closing, closing here, you know, when I was in England, we knew the queen was at Buckingham Palace if the flag was raised. The queen was in residence if the flag was lifted. King Jesus wants to reign in all of our lives. 
His presence, where's the flag? Some people, there are three different audiences here. Some of you, there's no flag to raise. You don't know Jesus. You don't know the king. You came here seeking perhaps this morning and you say, you know, the reality is there's no king in my life but me. That's a poor king to have or queen to have ourself. Dethrone, get dethroned this morning and put a new flag up and say, I want Jesus to be king of my life. For others of you, you say, you know, I've, I've given my life to Jesus, but the flag really is kind of half-staff. Um, you know, he owns the property, but if others are really looking, they wouldn't know he was there. And for some, it's full-blown and you're going after it and keep at it. That group I'm not concerned about this morning. Keep doing what you're doing. But if you're in one of the other categories... And you say, you know, I really don't know the king. I want to give you a chance to meet him today. There's a card. If you make that decision, I encourage you to write that information down and say, I accepted Christ today and, and, and I want him to be a part of my life. That's in the handout. Uh, or if you're at a place where you say, I just don't have much evidence that he's there. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. The evidence of which will be you'll receive power to be his witness, which is the purpose of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.